We talk a lot about syndications on this podcast, and most of the time, these offers are only for those with an accredited status per the rules of the SEC. Now sponsoring the Simple Passive Casual podcast is the American Homeowner Preservation Fund, a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, empowering investors to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages. The AHP fund aims to keep people in their homes by investing in notes. It's an opportunity to earn returns while feeling good about making positive social impact. You can start investing with as little $100. You can learn more at investinahp.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. On this week, I bring Marco back on the show from Narada Investments. They provide turnkey investments for their investors. And he's going to talk a lot about mindset with it being still in the beginning of the year. And maybe some people's motivation been dwindling over the first few weeks or months. I thought it'd be a good time to bring this show out of the archives and actually play it for you guys. We've got a whole bunch of shows that are unreleased that in case I die, someone needs to get a hold of my computer and are releasing into the world. But this is a good one. Now, talking to a lot of you guys investors you know i still do free coaching calls and strategy calls for you guys if you guys want to check that out go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash contact all i ask is just listen to the first 10 or 20 podcasts and sign up for the simple passive cash flow who we deal pipeline club uh, you can join there at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club but if you're not making any movements really take a lot of this information to heart the free offer for this week is for a free signed copy of my best-selling book the one thing that changed everything everything, shoot me an email at lane at simple passive cash flow and refer me to one of your friends by seeing, seeing them. I'll even send them a book. Make sure you include the mailing address in there. And if you are more into the ebook version, you can check it out at simplepassivecashflow.com slash book. And here's the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Castle listeners. We got Marco Santarelli. We're going to talk a little bit about mindset and what markets to invest in these days. How's it going, Marco? It's going great. How are you, Lane? It's another day in paradise here. For those of you guys who don't know, Marco was on the previous podcast, but he runs Narada real estate. He helps people find turnkeys. Definitely playing aggregator of turnkeys out there since, you know, like I've said before to you guys, it's hard to find these good turnkey operations because once a operator gets pretty good, they step up to bigger tasks and you as a turnkey buyer never see him again. So it's a constant cat and mouse game. Is that kind of right from your point of view, Marco? Like finding these operators and working with them? Yeah. What tends to happen is they either get big and they start to lose contact with their clients and they don't become a personalized operation where you have that kind of that concierge service. Two, Wall Street comes in and some of these big funds come in and they start buying all their inventory. So now they no longer care about the mom and pops, the small investor, and they start having to move 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 properties per month because that's the appetite that these funds are buying. Three, and we've seen this happen from time to time, maybe at least once every two years, is a company starts off on the right footing with the right inventory and then they grow too fast for their own good and they start to fall apart. They start to lose contact and they, they start to lose and their grasp on managing their subcontractors and their access to inventory. So they just become a problematic provider. And actually, I thought of a fourth. What happens sometimes as well is they a market dries up. Like we've seen this happen in Atlanta. Atlanta has been a great market, still is a great market today. But what's happened is, is that there's so much investor competition there 
and a drying up of supply that we just don't have access to the inventory we once used to have. So it used to be a perennial market and it's still a great market, but we just don't have access to inventory from the operators because the operators can't get their hands on it. So that's what happens. Yeah. So, and here's some insight. We've got our simple passive cash flow Facebook secret group that if you guys want access to that, you got to have a phone call with me. So I know you're not a weirdo and hopefully now you don't mask yourself your weirdness so you can get in. But you know, people will say, oh, hey, I've been working with so-and-so in Kansas City and they're smart. They can search Kansas City turnkey and they're like, oh, I'm going to work with these guys. And then they come crying to me because the turnkey provider makes them sign this ridiculous waiver saying if the property doesn't appraise for 110%, they still got to go through the transaction. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's what happens when you go with cheap, easy, free, you get old advice and that advice may not be applicable anymore. Right, exactly true. You have to know who you're working with and you have to have a trust, a certain level of trust in a relationship. And that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over time. And you build that relationship. You build that trust. You build your reputation. And it's important to work with reputable companies and reputable providers because at the end of the day, I'm not going to mention any names, but you probably know one or two right now that are in hot water, one being in a big class action lawsuit. And this was a, a high profile person, like a, a personality of sorts. So it's just important to work with the right team and have the right relationship and trust factor. Right, right. And it's always nice to work with a group and because there's another operator that we work with that sometimes it's hard to get administrative stuff done. So it's nice where I can just send them an email. And also on the syndication side, we call this thing called operator creep, or I, that's what I've kind of coined the term. It's like once the operator gets pretty good, now their investor splits start getting more skewed toward the general partner side. And it's the time when I stopped investing personally. I mean, of course, you like to work with experienced operators, but at some point, point is it not worth it anymore. So again, that term is operator creep. You can find it online or at Simple Passive Cashflow. So the topic of today, Marco, is you're in 22 markets. What markets have kind of gone offline and which are coming back or emerging? Well, if what you mean by offline are markets that have faded into the background for various reasons, one of them we just talked about Atlanta. Not that it's not a good market. It is a great market. But the biggest problem in Atlanta is lack of inventory. The second biggest problem is that because it's been growing and appreciating strongly for the last three, four years, we've seen cap rates drop. And that means that your returns have dropped. And it's not negative cash flow or anything like that. There's still good deals out there. It's just not as easy to find. And we're seeing that happen around the country in different phases. Jacksonville, we've been in and out of in phases. Phoenix, we've been in and out in phases. But you know, then you've got those perennial markets like Memphis, to a large degree, Houston, Texas, Indianapolis, for sure, the greater Chicago market market. These are big, big markets. So there's a lot of access to inventory and we can provide good turnkey cash flowing rental properties in these markets because it works. Interesting is Southwest Florida, the Cape Coral, Fort Myers area way back in 2003, 2004, 2005, it was a hotbed of investor activity. A lot of it being speculative, but a lot of it also being buy and hold for cash flow, long-term perspective, the right way to do things. There was no gambling going on with those investors. They survived. But the people that got caught with their shorts down were buying to flip. Point I'm trying to make is that being a very cyclical market, we were in that market. There was a lot of inventory. Then we had the Great Recession, a lot of foreclosures, property values dropped, and it was just saturated with inventory. It didn't make sense anymore. So we left it. Then about two years ago, we went back into that market. Why? Strong demand. People are moving in. Population growth. Inventory dropped to the point where demand exceeded supply. And so here we are again, history repeating itself. We have a market where the numbers are strong. The growth is there, population's growing, and everybody's happy. So when you talk about dry markets, it's not always a perpetually dry market. 
Cape Coral is an example of that, Fort Myers is, is an example of that, where it, it ebbs and flows, goes through market cycles or real estate cycles. We're seeing that in Atlanta. We're seeing that in Kansas City right now. Kansas City has been a perennially great market for buy and hold and cash flow, but just in the last year or two, we've seen inventory levels drop and property values go up measurably above its long-term average. This is a long answer to your short question, but the point is, is that you have to just be what I say, be market agnostic. You don't marry yourself to a market. And this is why, whether you live in Hawaii or Southern California or San Francisco or you know any other market where it doesn't make sense financially and or because of inventory reasons, you should not marry yourself to your local market as many gurus try to tell you. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is apartment syndication is like Dallas, Texas, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are like, oh, give me Dallas, Texas. It's the hottest market. I'm like, man, that has been coming on the newsletter for the last four or five years. You know, (laughs) even Ken McEnroy is putting out videos right now. Don't invest in Dallas, Texas. Back to your point, I want to point it out to people. It's not that it's a bad market, but if you're looking for deals, it may or may not be there. So we're not downgrading a market because it's going downhill, but it's just as opportunity investors, that's just not the place to be looking. Right. It's not the perfect storm. You need inventory. You need the numbers. You need the team. You need the timing. You need the right neighborhoods. You need everything to come together for you. Otherwise, if you're missing one or two of those pieces, guess what? We're in a big country. There's over 400 metropolitan areas metropolitan statistical areas. So if you can't find it in your market or another market, keep looking. Guess what? You will find it because we are in a housing deficit right now. And by a lot, the housing demand is very strong. So we need retail homes for sale and we need rentals. And if you're in the right market where it makes sense, and you might have to go down to a tertiary type market. You might have to move away from those larger markets and you know those well-known premium secondary markets and look at a tertiary market. So what? It doesn't have to be sexy. You're not investing to be flashy or to show off. You're investing for what? A rate of return. You're investing for cash flow. If you have those things going on for you, guess what? You're creating wealth and you're creating passive income. And that's what you and I talk about all the time. When I was getting my first few rentals, I found networking at a local REI club absolutely a waste of time. Most of the people you network with, especially in random networking events, will not lead to anything. The running joke amongst sophisticated investors is that the local real estate club is the worst place for us passive investors to find peers because it's just a bunch of broke people. That's why people are seeking real estate advice to get unbroke. Hashtag BP. For the same reason, I am turned off by the 10x Grant Cardone followers because they are really a ninja in disguise. No income, no job, no assets. In some cases, they have a scarcity mindset motivated individual willing to step over whoever they need so they are not broke anymore. For more networking tips, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash people. Since 2016, I've given hundreds, almost thousands of free calls to my podcast listeners. And now you can chat with me, but you got to join the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. I do this to filter the right people into my circle. I'm always watching and taking notes. Tip, I give freely and generously to who, those who reciprocates and exhibits generosity. Some people are givers and other takers. I've left so much money on the table giving out free advice, contacts, and resources. This is the way I filter people who I want to work with in the future. Ultimately, I play the long game. The Mastermind Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow is a platform to find like-minded, curated, not broke people or jerks, and the best chance for a busy adult to meet lifelong friends, even when you have graduated from the program. For the price I'm offering for the networking alone, it's worth it. But wait, 
By the way, you get 27 weeks of organized content and bi-weekly semi-private coaching calls too. Simplepassacastral.com backslash journey to learn more. So I think most newer investors I talk to, they just do this exercise where they put all the markets and they got all these spreadsheets and I tell them it's a complete waste of time just to go off of what other people have been and you trust the people. So with that said, what are one or two of the markets that you say are probably just one of the stronger ones where a person should kind of start off at and then maybe one or two that are not going to hold you to it but kind of sleepers or maybe tertiary markets to be on the lookout for? Well, whenever someone asks me that question, what are the best markets or even the hot markets? The answer is it depends. It depends on how you're defining the best market. Because if you're an investor that is looking for a, what I call a boring market, you're only in it for keeping in pace with inflation and getting cash flow. So just a solid cash flow market, cash flow property, a market like Indianapolis, Indiana, Memphis, Tennessee, Oklahoma, home city. Birmingham or uh, other Well, definitely, definitely Alabama markets. Like we're in Birmingham, Montgomery, and Huntsville. I wouldn't call Huntsville necessarily a sleeper market anymore. It's starting to take off. But Birmingham and Montgomery, for sure. Those are tried and true, very linear, very steady markets. You start looking at other markets that have a lot more growth potential. They're a little more cyclical in nature, but Jacksonville, Florida, Dallas has been this way for the last two, three years. Kansas City has been this way for the last three years or so. Any tertiary markets that you're kind of like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Well, actually the outskirts of the greater Chicago area, which borders and crosses over into Northern Indiana is one area. Many parts of Wisconsin are becoming strong growth markets. And a lot of people are not even aware of that. That's a market that we're, I'm working on right now. And I'm looking to open up here, hopefully in the near future. So what about the three cities in Ohio? Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Toledo. Well, Toledo, this is the Rust Belt. So any kind of growth happening in the Rust Belt is spotty at best. They're really just pockets. And that doesn't mean that there isn't growth going on there. There is, especially with manufacturing starting to ramp up now in a lot of parts of the Rust Belt. So you're going to see that growth in the years to come. It might be an area to start looking at. And I'm, I'm actually just starting to look at those again. I like to say again for the first time, but I'm looking at those markets and I'm starting to see again that growth trend happening in some of those areas. But in the past, Cincinnati and Cleveland have been very stable, predictable, boring type markets that are just cheap properties in terms of the per unit per door basis. You go in, you get a really good rate of return and you don't really expect appreciation. You're just going to keep up with inflation and that's really what you got. But now we're starting to see that trend change a little bit. So in terms of cash flow, I don't care about appreciation. I just want stability and cash flow because it's my first turnkey rental and I just want that big buffer in there. What would you say your top two are? Okay. I'm going to give you a two-part answer on this one. My favorite two markets right now would probably be the greater Houston metro for many reasons. I just love that market. There's a lot going on and it's just a very resilient market. And second one for cash flow probably would still be toss up between Birmingham and Memphis. Now, I want to also attach to that answer the fact that it's not just the market that you need to be looking at. It goes hand in hand with the neighborhood. I can show you one market and two properties in that market, one being in a, let's say, an A or A minus type neighborhood and have probably decent growth potential, but the numbers aren't going to be as sexy or attractive versus properties in the C class, C plus neighborhood, you know, in that market. And they're going to look very attractive, definitely on paper and probably in real life because you're, you don't know what to expect. And, you know, when you go down into lower grade type neighborhoods, but we're talking about the same market, just different areas within that market. So the point is, is you do want to start with the market and then focus on the best neighborhoods within that market that are going 
going to give you the rates of return that you're looking for as an investor to make the right decision for you and your investment goals. So when I say Birmingham, Memphis, Houston, great markets, growth, stability, inventory, cash flow, we have the right teams built there. So you've kind of built up everything you need to make a logical, prudent, objective investment decision for those types of markets. It's really hard to narrow it down to one because it's like asking someone who's got a bunch of children, you know, who's your favorite kid, right? You love them all, but for different reasons. So my answers can change in a week, but. Right, right. And I think for the podcast listener out there who's head spinning right now, stop focusing on the statistics and pick a couple markets and just see who you gel with, whether it's property managers, brokers, or, I mean, this is where the pitch was, hey man, just join the mastermind. You get all these other 40 other people that are buying properties right there with you and they're unbiased. They don't have a dog in the fight. So you just co-invest. You don't invest, you don't partner up with people, but you build relationships and this is how passive investors should do it, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and forget that drivability factor, you know, the so-called gurus out there saying that you should only quote unquote invest within a one or two hour radius of where you live is misguided information. In fact, in many cases, it's really bad information. I'm not sure what city you live in, but I can't imagine that you have a lot of cheap or affordable neighborhoods or areas in parts of Hawaii that make a whole lot of sense in terms of investing. You know, I, I relate it to Northern California. It's just, it's gotten so expensive and rents haven't scaled as fast as the appreciation in price. So when you have that delta growing over time between rents and property values, when you get into that market and you start acquiring rentals, you just don't have the returns that you need to make it a logical or prudent investment. Yeah, I think that the house flipping gurus are just trying to trick us to uh, invest in their students' junk flip deals. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's my theory. Sometimes they're selling, you know, very expensive paid programs, coaching, online courses and mentoring. A lot of times they're looking to raise capital. It's not, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but they're looking to enlist a certain percentage of their students as partners, capital partners or, or bird dogs to find deals within the markets that they want to be in. And again, none of that is good or bad. It is what it is. But you just need to be aware that you may be chasing after a unicorn, <laughs> you know, something that's not there. Right, right. And in my opinion, if your net worth is not a million dollars, you have no business being a debt investor. You need to go after equity. You need to be acquiring your own assets. That's just me. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you know a lot, but it's good. Everyone's got opinion. So one random question I have here. So I'm getting a lot of like Canadian investors. I know you work with a lot of them. Do they need to set up any kind of weird entity or structure to go acquire some of this stuff? That's a tax related question. I don't have a final definitive answer to it. I do know that I've heard from Canadian clients that what they do is they set up a limited company, LTD, just like in Great Britain and in Australia. So from a tax perspective, I don't really know how to answer the question. But I do know this much, that they don't, or at least they're advised not to by cross-border CPAs, not to set up an LLC in the U.S. and be a direct member owner of that LLC. They have to set up a Canadian entity that gives them the ability to flow the capital and not be overtaxed in that and process. Overtaxed, right. Right. So I believe what they're setting up in the U.S. is a, just a title-holding LLC that is a pass-through entity, and the member of that LLC happens to be their entity in Canada. 
And that's the part I don't remember. I used to know the type of entity structure they had in Canada. But we actually have one or two cross-border CPAs that we refer to Canadian clients, Canadian investors that are working with us so they can get the right information and set up whatever they need to set up for that purpose. Yeah, if you could shoot it over to me when you get a chance. The second part of the interview here. So I talked to a lot of investors and I think Marco talks even more than me that are newer investors and kind of wanted to get a conversation going on what are some of the BS things you hear from newer investors that are shooting themselves out of the deal? So maybe if you're listening, if these things kind of reflect on you, you can kind of do a gut check. And I know what happens to me. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll start, I'll have a bad feeling about a deal and then I'll just start looking for things that are wrong, but then try to get more towards the numbers, right? And how is this compared to the other deals I've seen? Well, the first thing that happens with a lot of people is just sheer ignorance. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way is that they don't, you don't know what you don't know. And there are a lot of investors out there that don't realize that they can invest in other markets. In fact, you can literally invest almost anywhere in the world, but within the context of the United States, there are hundreds of markets you can invest in. So just knowing that should tell you that there are a lot of opportunities out there available to you. You just need to have either the right guidance or right mentor or right team to work with. So the whole thing about ignorance, it's not that it's bliss, it's expensive. Second is pure fear. You know, when you unfamiliar with something and it's new and you don't know what the next step is or what to do or how to tackle a problem, even if it's for your own benefit, meaning growing a portfolio and having passive income and creating wealth. And it's it's everything that is feeding your benefits and, your, and, and achieving your goals. If you don't know how, how to do that and it, it looks like a monumental task and a big mystery, then you have this element of fear and you can easily talk yourself out of fear. The acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. And that's probably the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is just fear. When I see that appearing is people will always ask, oh, do I need to put this in an LLC, right? So I don't want to get sued. And when I caveat, both you and I are not lawyers. We're not giving out legal advice, but it's like, come on, man, your net worth is like $30,000. Nobody wants to sue you. What are you freaking out about? Yeah, you may or may not need an LLC, but I just see that when people ask that question, I see it coming from a place of scarcity and they're just afraid and they're just giving them an excuse not to do anything or wait six months till somebody gives them an answer for it. A lot of times they're just trying to poke holes in something that they can't poke holes into. And so they're trying to talk themselves out of it by finding a reason or an excuse not to invest. The thing is, is if you're focused on asset protection or setting up an LLC and where and how and all that kind of stuff, guess what? There are professionals to do that for you. So you don't even need to think about it. Just hire a professional for a few hundred dollars. They'll not only give you counsel and advice, but they'll set it up for you. And so Second, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on the minutia and the thing that is not moving the needle. You should be focused on the deal. Don't worry about setting up an LLC until you've found an investment. If you don't have an investment, why are you worried about an entity to put something in that you don't have yet? So people do this all the time. And especially analytical people, they overanalyze things to the point where they start to see a world with so much detail and minutia that it just clouds their entire judgment and obscures them from making sound decisions on making an investment on making on taking the next step and getting to where they want to be so don't do that to yourself that's terrible right when i was on your podcast we talked about what's some advice and i'm like passive investing shouldn't take more than a few hours a week and it shouldn't 
But if you're worrying about all this minutia and you're not doing anything, it's going to take a lot more than a few hours a week. And likely you're not spending your time on the important things, which again, we said earlier is building relationships with other passive investors and building relationships with the people on the ground. Right. I mean, the bottom line of what you're saying is spend your time on moving the needle and achieving your goals. And if you need help, recognize that. Tell yourself, hey, I don't I don't know the answer to this question. I'm going to get help for it. I, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing here, but I just like to simplify things. I want to break it down into essential elements and then ask myself the question, what do I need to do to achieve X? And that's it. It's all about execution. And if you don't know how to do it, call Lane, call Marco, call somebody, call, you know, get some help. So I, I recently wrote this article, simplepassivecashflow.com slash wall. And it's this theory I have that people, the reason why they start listening to your podcast my podcast is in the first three to six, you know, there's some kind of pain, whether they had a bad day at work, somebody died around them, some life altering event. And in three to six months, there's this window where the world has been shaken and they're searching for an answer. They're literally going on Google to find out how they can be financially independent, how do they can pick up a turnkey rental or whatever. And unfortunately, as humans, we're very resilient. And after that three to six month window, we heal over and go back to the status quo. Anything you you can add to that or anything you've seen for so many investors that have invested in and found success and others who have not done anything and supposedly failed, right? That's a failure. That's a good question. The two things that come to mind is I find people accomplish a lot more when they start to educate themselves. There's something that happens with your level of competence when you educate yourself. But what does that give you? That increases your level of confidence because when you know what you don't know, it creates fear and holds you back. You start to think that I I need to know those things that I'm aware I don't know in order for me to move forward and take action. And hopefully that made sense to everybody. <laughs> no, like what I'm hearing there, if you're at the four stages of learning, that the first stage is exactly what you described. You find out you don't know anything. Well, the first stage is you don't know what you don't know. Right. Second, and that's the biggest piece of the pie. Yeah. The second stage is what you're referring to, which is you know that you don't know jack. Well, I'm looking at it three stages. You don't know what you don't know. And then you know what you don't know. You know it's there, but you don't know how to do it. And then there's the, the smallest slice of that pie is you know what you know. And where people get tripped up is they feel that they don't know enough. They don't have enough confidence. And so they have no confidence to move forward. And the solution, the cure is to build your level of knowledge and competence because then you will naturally have the confidence to move forward. So that's why I made that my first rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing is because it all starts with investing in yourself, not in property. When you invest in yourself and you build your knowledge, you set the stage for everything else that comes right after that, which happens to lead to number two of my 10 rules. And that is set yourself investment goals. You need to identify what is your objective, make that your goal, and then break that down into steps, actionable steps. That becomes your roadmap. And when you have that, I mean, you can fool yourself and just create a checklist. And if you create a checklist and you've got calls, CPA, do this, do that, call Lane, call Marco. I mean, you break it down into like, you could reduce it to the ridiculous, but if you literally create a checklist that's actionable. Every little thing is actionable. Guess what? When you start taking that, you're not only building up momentum, you're building up your confidence. You've taken the courage to do it. And the next thing you know, as you look back days and weeks and months, 
into the past, you realize, holy jumping, I created all this activity and identified my first property or bought my first property or my next property. And so this is nothing new. This is stuff that works. It's proven time, time, time again for decades, if not hundreds of years that it works. You could call it fooling yourself, but you're not. It's really just applying psychology and motivation techniques that happen to your psyche. All right. Successful people have a do a good job of tricking themselves into doing the right thing. Yeah. It's just being clear and focused. If you're clear and focused, you can't help but to want to pursue the path that you see as being beneficial to you and avoiding pain down the road. Like, oh crap, I'm near retirement. I don't have enough income to support myself. When you think about it in terms of pain, sometimes that becomes a more a greater motivator than, than thinking about it in terms of what pleasure am I going to derive now or in the near future. Yeah, going back to your suggestion of writing it all down, I mean, maybe even put in, instead of putting all the tasks, just put January, February, March, April, May, June, or week one, week two, week three, week four, week five. Just do one thing in each of those slots but get it done. I mean, if yeah, you actually, something like a figuring out what your, your goal is to try and buy a turnkey rental, man, it shouldn't take you much more than a four or five month period. I mean, it's a turnkey rental, right? I could write a book. It's one page, right? Go, <laughs> go buy a turnkey rental. Of course, it's not as easy as that, but I mean, it certainly shouldn't take you a year to do. No, absolutely not. The only reason it would take the year is because you've held yourself back or you just don't have the capital or the credit today. But if you don't, work on it. And if you want to move it forward faster, find yourself a partner to get going or get started. You can split the capital and go partners on a, on a deal. The, really, don't make excuses. Look for solutions. And when it comes to goal setting, you can break that down into a five-year five year plan, like a goal three year, one year, break the one year into quarters, break the quarters into months, and then break those into weeks. And as you go down, you're actually just getting more granular. There's smaller tasks, smaller steps, but each one of those stack on top of each other and lead to the larger and larger objectives and goals that you've laid out. So you want to have the big picture objective and break it down into small steps. And that's how you walk a journey of a thousand miles. You take one step at a time. Right. As I'm here, you're saying that I'm kind of working on some newer projects and that I'm very unsure of. Of different from apartments and different from mobile home parks. But, you know, I'm just partnering with other people and then hopefully we can kind of trick each other and to keep moving forward. Right. That's part of the secret. <laughs> That's what works. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's all about tricking yourself to doing the right thing. Anything other that you've kind of seen that you want to warn people about that maybe that they're doing that's coming off the top of your head there, Marco? You know, some people think that, yeah, we've had a good run in real estate. Maybe it's too late. I should wait for the next crash. I don't buy into that. I am of the believer because I'm market agnostic agnostic and you know our company is market agnostic there are always opportunities out there and if you find a good market with a good deal and it's in an area a neighborhood that has a constant tenant demand in other words it's a desirable area and, and always has been and will continue to be so then there's always opportunity to invest in real estate because you've got to remember you're investing for cash flow cash flow is king and when you have cash flow on your deal think of it as the glue that holds your deal together so what happens is you have income coming in every month and every year you weather through real estate cycles and economic cycles because you've got a property that holds itself together. It carries itself. And what happens over time is your equity grows from the amortization of the loan plus appreciation over time. And that's the smart way to invest. So it's not about the time of year or what year or where we are in an economic cycle. It has to do with the fact that real estate is a local phenomenon. It's a local investment. And two, we always have a need for housing. We all need a roof over our head. So people need a place to live. As long as you're in a market where there 
there's stability and jobs and ideally job growth, you have all the cards stacked in your favor. So there should be never an excuse that the timing is wrong. No, it's not about the timing as much as it is about the location because the location and, and timing are a function of each other. So I think it's always a good time to invest. Right. I totally agree with you. And I'll add on to that. If your net worth is under a million, million and a half, you have no business not really investing. I mean, yeah, if, you're, if your net worth is two million above, yeah, you can just go into some of these note funds and just cash flow and be fine. But if you're under that threshold, you need to be in the game, man. Like you can't be sitting on your high horse because it's funny. The people who that say that, oh, I'm not, I'm just going to wait for the next one. You ask them, what do you own? And you find out they don't own Jack. Right. <laughs> You're the very one who should be trying to learn how to do this now because time is the most important thing. But as you said, it's cash flow, right? That's how we hedge ourselves, cash flow. Yeah, it's what keeps everything together and, and keeps things moving forward. And that grows over time. Set your base and that, that cash flow grows over time. Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll put your, I know you got your passive investing guide. I'll put that up on my website for people to download. You guys can check that out at the um, Simple Passive Cash Flow. Just type in Marco and it'll probably pop up. But you want to get your contact information out there, Marco, for people to get a hold of you and want to chat? Yeah, well, everything that anyone would need is on two websites, Norada Real Estate, N-O-R-A-D-A, NoradaRealEstate.com. The easier one to remember is PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com, and that's also the home of our podcast, so PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. All right, Marco, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Lane. It's been fun. All right, talk to you later. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.